You're listening to the McKinsey Podcast, featuring wide-ranging conversations on the issues that matter in business and management. Hello, and welcome to the McKinsey Podcast. I'm Bar Seitz, Global Publishing Lead for McKinsey's Marketing and Sales and Digital Practices, and I'm very happy to introduce my two guests today, Carol Derner, a partner in McKinsey's Munich office and a leader of the McKinsey Digital Practice, and Dave Edelman, a partner in our Boston office and global leader of our digital marketing group. They are also the authors of What Digital Really Means, one of the top articles published this year in McKinsey.com, and coincidentally, the topic of today's podcast. Dave, the first question is for you. Can you explain what is digital, and what is it not, and why do businesses have such trouble defining it? Well, Barr, I think I'm going to take that question um, backwards, and I'm going to start with businesses have trouble defining digital because for the most part over time, it seemed like this extra channel and thing that they added onto their business, uh, an extra way that customers could interact with them for customer service, for sales, an additional set of marketing channels, and it always seemed like it was something more, something added onto the business. But what's clear today and emphasized by companies who have really created whole new business models based on digital is that digital is not just is not more. It's about different. And you need to take a different view of how business is affected by digital. And so we see digital as really being three things. Digital can be the levers by which you think about new ways to actually assemble your overall business model. The way you make money, the way you overall deliver a value proposition, and then in parallel with that, digital also is a new way to interact with customers, to take whatever it is that your value proposition is and bring it to market. And then thirdly, digital is a different way of operating within the company and with a broader set of an ecosystem in order to deliver and actually make those products and services happen. And I think the hard thing for businesses is that looking at it through those lenses is can be so different than the way you operate now. And I, I think a classic example of this is the transformation that General Electric is going through, where instead of just, for example, selling a jet engine, selling a locomotive, they're selling uptime. They're using sensors on all of their equipment to track how their products perform, and then they're proactively managing issues around maintenance and upgrades, and they're essentially selling what customers want, which is speed and time and performance, rather than just a, buying a thing, a jet engine, that would give them that. That's a pretty radical change in how you think about your business model, but that really is what digital is about. Just taking that example that Dave was giving, I mean, this is not just uh, bringing out a new product or the next version of, of an existing product line, but this is really fundamentally changing the value proposition towards the customer, and, and it essentially affects all parts of the enterprise. It definitely will affect the, the core of the product development side uh, that essentially has developed uh, these jet engines. It will affect the sales uh, division, how they're actually selling this, uh, what are the, the sales models. 
Um, also, what are the channels? So it's the marketing um, element there as well. Uh, the servicing uh, department also will very clearly be affected. And that's why, again, leaders have to bring this joint perspective of what digital means for their company, for their customers, uh, into the entire organization um, and, and, and focus the organization behind a common goal. Uh, otherwise, we see that companies are not able to really create the momentum uh, that is needed to become success successful. And uh, often in the last 20 years, as you said in the very beginning, I think the, the digital, um, let's say, opportunities were often scattered around. There were some initiatives popping up here and there. Everybody has more or less defined his vision or version of digital. And that led to um, a, a subcritical um, uh, effort that also stalled and then led to to uh, to miserable results. But can you say, I mean, practically, what does uh, you know what does a CEO have to do? Maybe give maybe Kara one example, and maybe Dave, you can give an example of some practical steps that companies can take to really kind of inject that cross-functional attitude and culture into the organization. Yeah, I mean, first of all, I think the CEO really has to stand for that digital target picture, the objective. And you could call it vision. I think it's always, uh, um, it's not just having the long-term vision. It's really also embedding a digital thinking in the way that he communicates and that he um, enlightens the entire organization. And how can then CEOs essentially also help to get this cross-functional uh, working? Uh, that effectively goes by by really mandating uh, cross-functional uh, teams and also um, organizational leaders that uh, they effectively have to also sponsor. And they have to make sure that the tradition of optimizing and rewarding the individuals and also the top-line managers has to be shifted. So um, I think this, this reward mechanism, the steering mechanism from the top is needed. Um, and eventually also it's the change management aspect. I mean, th people have to start taking a different attitude. I also think there are two different dimensions to think about here of the degree of change that's going on in a company and what kind of leadership would be involved. If it's a more... Uh, digital changes to the core business where you're not necessarily radically changing the whole business model. So, for example, for a large retail chain setting up buy online, pick up and store for changes like that, which are inevitably cross functional endeavors meant to create some new kind of customer journey. What we're seeing works is when CEOs set up journey-based teams and saying that there are several new journeys. It could be buy online, pick up in store. It could be same-day delivery. It could be look up online in-store and complete a buy while you're in a store on your phone. Those are three journeys that for a retail chain could drive quite a lot of growth, but are very complex cross-functionally. And so... The CEO would be setting up journey teams where there would be a leader, so, now maybe a store operations leader. It could be from the digital organization who's then chartered to bring together a cross-functional team to work intensely over a period of time together in order to tackle that journey. And the measure of success is being able to actually go to Bright, release and roll out that journey and market it in order to attract volume against it. 
setting up that cross-functional team, that's something that, that it really only comes together at the CEO, CEO, and they have to make that happen. But if it's a whole new business model that's not based on the core, that's going to require separate funding, possibly a separate organization that will need to be insulated from all the traditional overhead policies, things like that, that hamper the legacy business. Carol, sort of taking on this idea, can you explain a little bit more about what this idea of the new frontiers of value, what does that mean in a practical terms, and how do business leaders um, you know, implement that and think that through? If we stay with that um, perspective that there are at least these two different dimensions, uh, improving and, and digitizing the core versus really identifying the new disruptions and the new frontiers, the latter, uh, I mean, apparently is very much driven by some shifts that we are seeing, um, often driven by technology. I wouldn't say that it's entirely by technology, but it's uh, driven by technology advancement and also the way that customers and consumers are adapting to that. So I'd like to take the example of connected homes. Uh, so the fact that uh, from now on, apparently, devices, appliances, but also the power line um, and the entire infrastructure of a home is expected to be continuously connected to each other. And, and, and that opens up completely new business models. Again, service business models are, are one example. Um, Data-driven models, so essentially somebody can start to really manage your home by certain um, core, let's say, functions by energy saving or security, whatever the, the key objective is or the key use case is, the service models will evolve around that. And that's what we mean with new frontiers. You have to lift your boundaries uh, that traditionally have been very sector-specific and really think what is possible as an opportunity, but also what is possible for others to attack me if these new frontiers become the new norm. I think one of the big um, things that Carol is raising is the growth of services that one of the biggest changes digital allows is that in many business what might have been product sales become services I mean that's the GE example from before that's what's the connected home a lot of that is you may have bought a thermostat but now you're buying energy management you may have bought a TV now you're buying entertainment streaming and all of these are changes in business model for the companies that deliver them because it used to be around manufacture, marketing, and sales. Now they have to create a whole service infrastructure to manage streams of data, make sense of it, use that to provide services against that. And that's a big change in business model and operations for companies that are used to just simply making and selling stuff. And the opportunity on a service perspective for somebody to come in new and rethink the whole way to satisfy a customer's need through a service, they get to do it fresh. They get to do it using the best possible interfaces and data. There are opportunities to come in and reconceive what it means to deliver a service, whether that's transportation from point A to point B, whether that's replenishing ink on your for your printer. I mean, all of these are, are services that you could now create through the digital world that weren't there before that require different kinds of business models. I think oftentimes we hear that, you know, digital 
is not, or digital is treated as an end rather than a means to an end. Um, and the end is all about delivering value. So, you know, as you've been talking about you know, new service models and new frontiers of value, um, it still comes down to then getting stuff done and the sort of uh, operations and digital ways of working mm-hmm. that companies now need to embrace that is, it, it's different. It's not just adding on digital as you've done before. So Dave, can you talk a little bit about, you know, operationally, what are the elements that need to come together to, you know, to, to be digital, right? So digital is not a thing. It's really a way of doing things, as you said in your article. A lot of the kind of lighthouse for new operations is coming from the software area where agile development, the notion of cross-functional teams working together to rapidly create prototypes, to test those, to get releases out in a faster iterative manner. That philosophy is invading more of not just software development, but business development, um, business experience development and delivery, especially since so many of those are now going to be based on some kind of software engine underneath them. So where we've been working with clients is creating these agile teams, often focused on developing some kind of set of services to support a customer journey where People are coming together to work in very intense sprints with timeframes that are rather aggressive, where they're forcing issues on the table, issues of policy, issues of how funding flows, and then, of course, issues of design and technology development and service delivery. Sometimes, though, the tougher things actually have to do with breaking away from policies that may have just been assumed that may no longer be appropriate. And so we're seeing these agile, some are called scrum teams. They have different kinds of names in different companies who are coming together in almost an extra organizational fashion up and above the core functions to build prototypes, get pilots going, and then work to embed those back in the core business. So it's a project-oriented function that requires moving resources around in a more dedicated way to do that which is tough to release those resources. But if it's only 5% of 25 people's time, it's just not going to get done. So it does require a real pivot in terms of how you're allocating people's time to try to to bring them together in the right kind of setting with strong, aggressive objectives to move forward. And we've seen this done in banking, in consumer goods, in telecom, in many different sectors. And let's also, um, to, to that, uh, add the, the very important role of the customer and the user. Because, I mean, that, that approach that you just described, Dave, that, that essentially uh, has uh, an early on exposure of the service or product development towards the end customer. And, and the, 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 the earlier I really get not just feedback, but also proven data points, how customers are actually using something, uh, the better and the faster I will improve that product and I get into a continuous improvement uh, process. So that's why I think it's important that this agility doesn't become a means on its own or, or purpose of it on its own, but it really serves to get faster and, and more direct to the actual customer preference and, and understanding the customer behavior. Um, and I think that's the contradiction to very long 
waterfall-based product development cycles where there's a lot of assumptions throughout the entire design process that are never really proven. One of the things, Carol, that you're implying that I think is important in those operations is uh, the, the predominance of thinking about measurement and making sure if you're going to do a rapid test and learn and get those feedback cycles, the whole philosophy has got to be what we do is going to be measurable. Um, if we do A-B split testing, we're going to be setting up adequate sample sizes and we know how much volume we're going to need to be able to tell how big the right sample sizes are. We're going to be embedding tags in what we do so that we can measure it. We're going to have the systems in place to do so. We're going to have the reports that tell us how things are doing and a whole philosophy of measurement underneath all of that design and delivery. I think that's that's the other balancing point in order to make that happen. You've been talking about, you know, uh, processes and, you know, technology that, of course, needs to be in place. But you mentioned in your article this mindset about being more externally focused in terms of how to connect with outside organizations, outside vendors, outside talent, and that being a really core element of the definition of digital. What does it take to change a mindset so that companies can be more externally focused and really plug into the, the capabilities, the technologies, the platforms, the vendors that are available today? I mean, the, the challenge is pretty huge for, and I think it's, it's, it's the bigger for the companies that apparently have come from that divisional of labor where effectively you you more or less optimize a given system and then uh, yeah, you more or less um, increase the efficiency and that's the sole objective function that you have. Now, in, 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 an, in an area where you need constant innovation, you need uh, this external orientation, which again, ultimately is a customer orientation. And I think customer orientation, everybody will say they are customer oriented, but uh, I mean, as digital leaders would call it, they have to be customer obsessed. So you really have to to take the customer hat and, and optimize for the customer. And, and that's something that a lot of organizations still struggle. So that I think where you should start with, take really the customer perspective and, and then um, in order to, to create the agility that, that we now described, um, the ability to, to rapidly develop something, put it out, measure the success, um, I mean, it really needs a different way of not just of working, but also of collaboration, of understanding the individual role. And that means that eventually we are talking about transformation. Um, I mean, colleagues of us have apparently put this into one I think very nice uh, framing, it's a digital quotient that has to be elevated uh, along these uh, transformations. And, um, and the, the effort is huge, but the good news is that doesn't mean that, that you take a lot of time to get the results. I mean, you get results very quickly if you start, for example, to digitize journey number one, and then journey number two, and journey number three, and then you shorten and parallelize this, and then you scale by doing that. I think one of the things that really pushes organizations forward and makes things like customer focus become real is putting some real numbers against that and some some measures. So, for example, coming back to the retail example for 
something like ship from store. So somebody's in a store, they love a particular article of clothing, they can't find their size, and a salesperson can find that in another store. Now, ideally, you'd like to be able to ship that directly to somebody's home free because you messed up because you didn't have it in the store. But for a store that may have charged for that service before, waited until a whole bunch of orders were batched together in order to make them lower cost to send, because operationally, that's the way they operated, making a move to something like ship to home by next day for free, which is a customer-oriented objective, that's a huge change operationally. But that's the kind of start from a cultural perspective it takes. It's looking at the journeys that will be affected digitally and bringing a perspective to them of what it really means to serve the customer, to break the compromises in the current system, because you can do way more for the customer but it's a question of changing the way you operate and then using digital technology to be able to give you the low-cost flexibility to get that done and then measure it. So I'm seeing the, the leaders who are really driving that change forcing people to do that, doing things like making the entire executive leadership team every week listen to calls from the call center for 15 minutes together every week and talk about, okay, where are the measures in our business that are not working properly? Why can't these people self-serve? Why are these problems happening? And in 75% of the cases, at least, there's a reasonable digital solution that requires cross-functional operational change to eliminate that source of calls and and driving that through together. I know we've had conversations before where companies are obsessed about the journey in as much as the, when the customer is only interacting with the brand. But a journey, you know, a broader view of that incorporates many other touch points outside of the brand's purview. I like this idea that understanding the customer and looking at uh, the journey from the customer's perspective really actually forces companies to look beyond their own borders and forces them to see you know, what customers are doing maybe after a purchase with another company, that being a natural you know, point of alliance, a point of integration. Can you talk a little bit about you know, how this customer journey actually might be the door that opens companies to a broader view of how they interact with customers? Again, it comes back to really understanding the fundamental customer demand and the use case that the customer is truly interested to, to experience and, and that, is, that is creating value for the customers. If you talk about mobility, I mean, going, getting from A to B, um, that is normally the, the use case. Yeah? I mean, you may also say you want to go in, a, in an extremely nice and, and uh, uh, sort of um, showing off a car and then it's be, the product becomes core and center. But I think in most cases, it's really about the mobility. I mean, just getting from A to B. And if you take that perspective now, for example, as an automotive manufacturer that has been used to sell cars, you're missing the point. I mean, it's not about owning a car that anyway stands 98% um, idle in, in the garage, but it's about getting from A to B. And, and that means uh, to understand that type of use case and then develop a service and, and, and an offering that matches that use case, that demand, uh, ends uh, in a very different proposition than if you're traditionally selling a product. Two quick examples to just build on that. One is a company 
that makes small countertop cooking appliances, especially for emerging markets where people live in small places and need some kind of new quick way to cook food. So they've created a smart cooking appliance that sits on the countertop with different compartments that you can control with an app. And the reality is people don't just want a cooking appliance, they want meals. And so they've been able through the app now to provide people with recipe suggestions. So as they're taking that steps further, they're Get, gathering data on the kinds of recipes people want, the size of their household, special ter- dietary needs, but then they're also opening it up on the other side for food companies to get access to that distribution channel, essentially, to provide ideas for recipes based on their products, with maybe even coupons to buy those products and to drive traffic to sell. And so, this is a company that originally just made countertop appliances that's now expanding into a broader ecosystem of helping people not only plan meals, but actually get what they need for meals and provide them with access to discounts on food products. I mean, so that's a pretty dramatic, you know, reshaping of what they want to do. And then similarly, a bank that we know of, uh, Commonwealth Bank of Australia has an app that Instead of just simply helping you buy a mortgage, you take a picture of a house. It gives you data on that house's price, the real estate brokers who are selling it, information about that house. You can get access to the brokers and start not only the process of getting a mortgage, but the whole home investigation and buying process along the way, because they're tapping into broader data about real estate prices, multiple listings for the realtors, and they're carrying you through what you really want to do, which is buy a home. You don't want to get a mortgage. That's just simply a way to get a home. So I think in both of those, you have examples of companies who are looking at what is the broader need and then building the linkages in their actual software to enable that to get done. Thank you, Carolyn Day, for joining me in this conversation. You've been listening to the McKinsey Podcast. To learn more about McKinsey, our people and our latest thinking, visit us at mckinsey.com or find us on LinkedIn, Twitter and Facebook.